Welcome to Catch the Fire London's podcast. We pray that you will be radically transformed as you listen to this message. Can you stretch out your hands towards Ashley, guys? Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. We ask would you pour out power upon Ashley right now. Fill her with your presence, Holy Spirit. Fill her with your might. Bless us through her. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Don't mess it up. No pressure at all. Thanks, babe. <laughs> well, it's really lovely to see you all this morning. Sorry, I've been um, a bit absent. Um, I don't know if Dan said, but Caleb's not been very well. So um, we've been keeping him isolated at Something's Brewing. Um, off he goes, um, as we don't want him to pass lurgies on, because we know it's a bit of a lurgy season, and we want to be able to protect everyone as much as possible, including ourselves. So apologies for not being here. Um, and I get my water that Caleb has drank out of, so Lord redeem and, and cleanse it quick. Um, so yes, but yeah, so thank you very much for um, your patience this morning. Okay, so if you want to turn with me to Matthew 1, I'm just going to read uh, 1 to 17. And so we're now preparing for um, the Advent season, as Dan's already kind of led a little bit in that. And so really the, the, the themes as we build up are going to be building up about um, the joy to the world the Lord has come. And part of that today is that we're actually going to be looking at Matthew 1, which is looking at the genealogy of Jesus, because to know who Jesus is, we need to understand part of his history, part of his lineage. And so I'm just going to read the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Amenabadab. <laughs> Pardon with some of these ones. Aminadab begot Nation, and Nation begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot Abijah, and Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Isaiah. Isaiah begot Jotham, Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahab begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Amon, and Amon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shiltiel, and Shiltiel begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begot Abiyud, Abiyud begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azar. Azar begot Zadok, Zadok begot Achim, and Achim begot Eliud. Eliud begot Elazar, Elazar begot Methan, and Methan begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Joseph, we're at the end, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Yes, I got Marie! <laughs> that man there are some difficult names in there I'm building up a sweat I can tell you 
So, what is the importance of this? What is the importance of all those really difficult names? And when you're looking to name your children, when you look through a lot of these, I can tell you not a lot of those are picked these days, but some are, but some of the more difficult ones. Hmm. So, I think there has been, um, and always has been, this ever-increasing desire to know our history, right? To know our lineage, who we are and where we are from. And you can really see that even in today's society where lots of people are going on ancestral sites um, and doing DNA swabs to see, you know, who they are, who is their makeup, you know, getting to know not just your immediate family, but stretching back the generations. And um, Dan's family are particularly into this. His mom and dad have done it, his auntie and uncle, um, his brothers um, have done it, um, and with their wives, we're probably the last ones to, to get on to doing it. But when we, when I was asking his mom about, you know, what is your your DNA, what is your makeup, what is your history, your, your heritage and your lineage, she was saying that when it came back, not that many of you will be surprised by looking at Dan, but 55% of his lineage is Celtic. Then we've got um, we've got English, Scandinavian, Greek, Italian, and Icelandic, and Finnish. And so, actually, you can see there is you know sometimes we think oh you know we're we're born in this place and so this is who we are, but we're not. We're made up of all the people who are part of our heritage and our lineage who have gone before us. We're part of um, their DNA and from where they have come from as well. And so we know that even people within our church who have gone on ancestral finding journeys and have found long lost siblings and relatives and parents all over the world. And so they've gained family by finding out about their DNA and where they're from. And so genealogies are really important. They help us to understand who we are and where we're from. And this really helps us get a sense of self, right? This helps us understand um, our beliefs, our values, our systems of behavior. It, understands our, it helps us understand our cultural makeup. And it gives us a sense of history and a sense of, of where we belong. And belonging is so important. There is this innate desire with human beings to belong, to be unified, to, to um, be part of a group, to be part of something. And really, there's a strong draw within us that God places within, within us to be part of a family and to be connected. And really, that comes down to God's desire that we seek him out and that we want to be part of his family. And so... There is this huge drive that binds us. And a philosopher, I don't know, I can't remember which one, there might be some clever people out there, once said that no man is an island. And that is so true. It doesn't matter as hard as we want to, as hard as we might want to separate ourselves from the world and cut ourselves off from people because of hurt and pain and trauma and negative experiences. No man is an island because wherever you go, you are going to be influenced by the people that you meet in a day-to-day -day basis and, and you're going to be influenced by the cultural um, norms that are around you and you're going to be influenced by your own journey and everyone that has come into that and so you're not an island we're all part of a village we're all part of a big village um whether we want it or not and the things that influence are going to be the things of the present the things that surround us now in our current situation in our present place you know people who 
we talk to, part of our, our families, our workplaces, groups that we might attend. But also, we're going to be heavily influenced by our past, and not just our past, but our family's past and those that we're connected to. So we're all heavily um, influenced by the cultural places where, where our family have come from too, and we can really see that filtering down. And I love that because even when we were at Ash and Rebecca's wedding, there were some beautiful um, beautiful outfit changes. Um, Raj and Eliza, um, also um, of an uh, Indian and Sri Lankan heritage, had amazing um you know, uh, I think they had about five, so they topped you guys, they had about five outfit changes, um, and they had so much going on within it, and different songs, and, and bits, and um, I loved all the different dancing, and the, the joy that was part of Ash and Mirabaka's wedding as well, and so we bring culture through with us, we bring our family heritage, and our lineage in where, wherever we go, and we're Yes, I'll do this one for a minute with my lovely long, lovely long line. I'll try not to walk too much. Anyway, and so what we, what we understand is that actually our lives are a rich tapestry that is woven together amongst the lives of other people. We're, we're, we're not just an island, but that we are just, are, the world, when we look at it, we are all a thread. And in a beautiful tapestry, we are woven together in and out, up and down. And we come into contact with, with different people that may change the direction that we go. But we become a beautiful tapestry of richness. And we'll be influenced by things. We'll get there. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Andrea and Addy. Um, and so... Um, you know, of all the things that influence us in this tapestry, they're going to be things of love, things that have drastically gone wrong, things that have happened in life. There are going to be things of love, of loss, of obedience, of of um, disobedience. And in Jesus's genealogy, we really see this, and we are reminded that this tapestry of life is made up of people and made up of imperfect people with imperfect lives. But the importance of this is that in our imperfect it creates a story and it creates a God story. So if you want to turn with me to Genesis 25, we're going to look at Jacob and Esau. And I'm just going to go through a couple of uh, the genealogy of Jesus and I'm just going to um, pick apart some bits of their lives and we're just going to pray and do some ministry as we go. So Genesis 25, 22 to 34 and 27, uh, 1 to 5. It tells us of two brothers, Jacob and Esau. And these brothers did not get on. They did not get on even in the womb. Even in the womb of Rebecca, they were fighting and they were contending to be the first one out. And it was prophesied by God when Rebecca was pregnant. Um, and she inquired to the Lord about the uh, about the child or children um, in her in her womb, and it says, two nations are in your womb," says the Lord. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger." And so this word came to pass. 
Now, in those days, the eldest child received the inheritance. They received they received the birthright and the blessings from the father. This is what the, the, the firstborn son received. Um, and in Genesis 25, 29 to 34, we can see here where Esau sells his birthright. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Adam. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die, so what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So here we can see that, that um, the birthright was something of importance. It was something that was really special because Jacob was going to contend for it. Jacob really, really wanted it. He came in second, a very close second, but he really wanted the birthright. He understood the importance because the birthright meant the headship of the family and it meant a double share of the inheritance. And so he knew that that is what he wanted. That was what he was after. It was of incredible position because not only was it for you, but it was for your descendants as the line went down. It changed. When the birthright changed into his hands, it changed the inheritance line. It changed the lineage line from going from Esau down to him instead. And so it changed that his children would be passed on the birthright and so on and so forth as they continued. It was something that should have been held in high esteem and value and consideration. But here we see that Esau was so casual about it. He didn't understand. He didn't have the understanding of the value of the birthright. And he was more interested in the instant gratification of his need in the moment. I'm weary. I'm hungry. I'm going to die. Like I need my need met now rather than thinking of... Of, of this thing that I might get. Um, he was under um, almost like a stronghold of this desire for instant gratification in the moment that he flippantly tossed something that was so precious aside. And what he was focusing on was the, the present rather than the eternal. And how often do we do this? How often do we get so caught up within the moment, within our feelings, within our emotions, within the situation that's going on. And, and please hear me, you know, some situations are horrendous. You know, they, they, they've got trauma, they've got pain, they've got hurt, they've got um, negative um, situations and connotations and consequences going on, and it's hard. But if we get entrenched in, in the present and we succumb to this need for an instant gratification, removal of this situation, and we lose the eternal perspective, we can actually lose our inheritance. We can lose something that God wants to give us in that moment. And I remember um, watching a video um, and there was this guy talking about the eternal perspective and he had a long piece of rope. And at the, the one end of the rope was a, probably like a two-inch piece of red tape wrapped around it. And the rest was white. And he was using it to demonstrate that this red bit was our time on earth. 
It was our lifespan. But the white bit was the eternity that we're going to be spending with Jesus. And he was demonstrating that actually in, that, in, in the grand scheme of the, the present and the eternal, the, the, mo- the present moment, our lifespan, even though it may seem long to us at the time, is actually incredibly short. And so I remember thinking um, <laughs> and watching this, and I was just thinking of Esau, and I just thought, I wonder if he had grasped the eternal perspective, would he have chosen not to have eaten, but would he have chosen to hold on to his birthright? If he would have thought, do you know what? I know this is really hard for me right now because I'm so hungry and, and famished and I feel so weary, but actually... The eternal perspective of my birthright, the inheritance, the blessings, the, the headship of the house and the, and the double portion of blessing would be mine. Would he have given it away or would he have actually said, you know what, it's all right, I'll go make myself a sandwich. So with that. I just want to pray over us right now that, Lord, that you would give us an eternal perspective. And so some of you might, might understand what that means. Some of you might be contending in this moment thinking, I don't, I don't like what my immediate place right now looks like. It doesn't look like how I want it. It doesn't look like how I imagined it. And, and I'm having to make choices. I'm having to make decisions in my life about, about what I want. And, and those decisions can really impact the next stages of life and where you go. And so, Lord, I just ask right now that you would grant us an eternal perspective. Let us not be too hasty in our decisions or with our tongue. Let us pause, God, to chat to you and reflect with you. And Lord, I ask right now that you would come and you would break off any strongholds that may have have come in, God, that may have landed upon us in our pain and in our hurt, God, where we may have made vows and, and judgments and agreements with the enemy. Lord, right now, I ask that you would come and that you would break that off of us, that we would be able to take on an eternal perspective, God, that we wouldn't be bound by the immediacy of the present situation, God, but that we would see your point of view, that God, that we would hold on to the eternal perspective with weight and with value, and that we would hold on to our blessings, that we wouldn't be a people who would be so hastily to abdicate what you have given us and to throw it away, but that we would remain in the storm, God, that you would be the anchor and we would hold on tight, that we would say, it is worth going through this because I am not going to give up my position. I am not going to give up my house. I am not going to give up the blessings and the birthright and the headship of this place for you have anointed my head and in this place I shall stand and in this place you will deliver me oh God and so Lord right now I just ask God that you would come and that you would fall upon every person here today and every person watching God that you would come and that you would give this eternal perspective and you would strengthen us that you would gird our legs that we would stand on the rock of Jesus Christ in this place Lord we thank you that we would never jeopardize losing our inheritance that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on. We're now going to move on to Rahab. I I love this gal. She is incredible. She is um, yeah, I, I love looking at the women in the Bible. I particularly love looking at the, the women in the lineage of Jesus Christ because there aren't many mentioned, right? There's lots of the men in there, but there are only a handful of the women. And so I wanted to really concentrate on a couple of the women. 
So Rahab was most likely a temple priestess or a prostitute. That was her position in the society at the time. She had high connections um, with other priests because of her position, and she even had connections with the king, which is why we see when we um, when we look in Joshua. Um, uh, Joshua 2, verse 9 to 15, um, we can see, um, and going onwards, we can see um, that, uh, she, you know, she had men coming in and out. She was highly connected. And actually, as a, as a pagan priestess, she held a really high position. She was really thought of and held in high regard and high esteem um, because of her career choice. Um, and yet... Despite being someone of renown, being someone in an honored position, despite this and the privilege and honor that she had, she says in Joshua 2, 9 to 15, I know that the Lord has given you the land that the... Um, that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. Despite her upbringing in this pagan society, despite the culture around her, despite the influence from her family, her friends, um, the society that she was li living in, her colleagues, so to speak, um, despite all of this, um, she was a woman of faith. She was a woman of faith because she says, I know that the Lord has given you. She knows that the Lord is in the highest position. He is in the highest place of authority. She recognizes who our Lord God is. And because of this, she is one who believes in the true God. And because of her faith and her fear of the Lord, she is a woman who not only has faith, but she has the fear of the Lord within her, the awe of the Lord for what he has done. She recognizes his authority. She recognizes his power and his headship that she says, In Joshua 6, 17 and 22 to 25, I'm going to squish these bits together. Now the city, it says, shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all who are with her in the house because she hid the messengers that were sent. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers from Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Because of her faith and her fear of the Lord, and her faith in action, it wasn't just a passive faith. It was a faith in action because she stepped out and she hid the spies. Because of this, she changed her future and her family's future. She changed the lineage because of her choice, because of the decision that she made to follow the Lord and have faith in him and submit to him. Her boldness and her courage transformed not just her life, but her family lineage down of her direct descendants and her family, her immediate family around her. She went from being someone of pagan worship to someone 
of holiness, of righteousness and following the, the Lord for the rest of the days of her life. I love that the author in Joshua took time to deviate from the story and says, so she dwells in Israel to this day. He was giving a little update, right? He's not just talking about the immediate story. He was giving an update about her saying, to this very day, she still remains in Israel and she's, she's among the Jews. She's among them and she's living with them and she's changed her life and it's continued that way. She continues to receive the blessing. Her choices and faith changed not just her life, but her family's and not just for a moment, but for the trajectory of a lifetime. She went from being a pagan temple priestess to being the great, great grandmother of King David, of being Boaz's mother, Matthew 1, 5. Through her faith and changing of her destiny, she became part of the lineage of Christ. Without her choices, without her boldness and her courage, none of that would have happened. She got to choose in that moment, choose to 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 put her faith in God and to turn away from, from what she had known, what culture had dictated over her, for what her lifetime had told her. She chose in that moment to turn away and said, no, I'm going to follow the Lord and I have faith in him and I will see him come and save me. And so as I was praying, I felt that some of you here and some of you watching may feel that you don't have a great lineage. You may be the first Christian in your line. You may, you may not have any Christians that have gone before you. You may be the very first. You may not come from a long line of believers but have a family that is full of other different religions or faith practices. You may feel like you do not have much that has been passed down to you. You don't have much of a lineage that has gone before you or, or an inheritance. But I want to encourage you today that by your faith, by your journey, your story and your trust in God, that you have changed your heritage. You have changed your lineage. And not only that, but you have changed your descendants' lineage. The children that have go after you, you have changed their destiny. You have brought through your choices, not just you, but them into a whole new being, into a whole new headship and a whole new blessing, a whole new inheritance and a double blessing for you and those to come. I want to encourage you that you don't need to look for your history to find who the history maker is. Because you are the history maker in your lineage. You are the history maker in your line. And you are the one who has changed the direction and the course to come. So I just want to, I know looking around there are some first generation Christians in the room. And so Lord, I just want to pray for you and pray over you. Lord God, I thank you for the history makers in this room today and for those watching, those who have changed the course of their descendants' lives, who have broken the chains and brought freedom and blessing. I thank you that they have the ability through your blood and the power of the cross to snatch curses from the air and to break every ungodly generational curse and line. And Lord, I ask that your glory would be upon them. Let it fall upon them, God. And would you fill them with your courage and your boldness. Let them take 
take with them their family as Rahab did and call them into fellowship with you. I bless you, the first generations of Christians, that not only will your descendants know and serve the Lord your God, but that your family who are around you will come to know the Lord your God too. That it does not stop with you, but that Rahab took her mother, her brother, her father, her sisters and their family. Everyone who was in that house at the time, she took with them into the new land. And so Lord, right now we ask that you would come and that you would decree over this house right now that you would decree that people would take their families with them into the promised land, God. That we would see this nation saved and that we would see families saved. We would see family histories changed, God, because of decisions of Christians in this place today, God. And that we declare that we will see a Rahab anointing and a Rahab blessing in this place of boldness and courage of faith and that we would say that the enemy cannot have them. The enemy cannot have the rest of our family for they are coming with me. They are coming with me into the promised land. Amen. Come on, we are now going to turn to Bathsheba. Ah, again, I just, yeah, this woman, she, she is actually in the Matthew, uh, Matthew verse. She is not physically named but she is named as the one who was married to Uriah. Um, so, but we know who she is. We know from the story, we know who she is. And most people know the story of Bathsheba. She's portrayed as an adulteress, a sinner, a woman who flaunts her nakedness in front of the king, in front of David to entice him. And so we're going to look at 2 Samuel 11, 2 to 4. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David inquired about the woman and someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and she lay with him. For she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to the house. So, the common story told about her is this one of a woman being an adulteress, a sinner, someone who who flaunts her body in front of the king to entice him and to get power. However, I want to propose a different story, a different possible truth of of what has gone on. And I want to propose a story of a woman who, in the time, in the culture, had little rights, had little voice, and little ability to choose a course of action for herself. She had little rights to deny the king anything anything he wanted. And if he wanted her, she didn't really have a position or a voice to be able to deny him that also. It is a story of a woman who was bathing on her roof. Why? Why was she bathing up there? Because that was where the bathroom was. In those times in the culture, that is where the bathroom was. That's where they showered. And where her position was because of um, Uriah's uh, you know, position within the army, her house would have been next to the wall of King David's 
because they were because they were literally like one of the, the most high up people. And so her house would have been right next to King David's. And so no one else would have been able to have looked upon her because of the positioning going up, up the hill. The only one who could have overseen would have been King David. So she wasn't flaunting herself. This was where she was just having a bath. She was just freshening up for the day or the night. And it wasn't, it wasn't with intention that she was um, being, you know, being seen by the king. This is a story of a woman's lineage that was changed, not because of her own choices, but because of someone else. It was not because of her own doing, but her lineage was changed because of something that was done to her, that she didn't have a choice about, of choices that were made for her, and of a culture at the time that had... Um, that had meant that she had little or no voice to be able to, to say no. She wasn't an adulteress in the classic sense. Yes, I believe the Bible was right to call her an adulteress because she had slept with someone that wasn't her husband, but she's not an adulteress in the classic sense where where she um, she had any choice about this, she wasn't the one who who made the move. She wasn't the one who um, who could who could stop it at any point. She didn't manipulate David. She didn't flaunt herself. She was a woman who lived with the culture, within the cultural expectations of women at the time. She was a Jew. She would have gone to the temple with the other Jews. She would have mixed with the, um, the women in the women's area. She wouldn't have mixed in the man's area. She would have, um, she would have um, had chaperones all of her life. That meant that she wouldn't be able to mix with, with men because that was the, the culture at the time. She was a woman of reputation because of being Uriah's wife. And in a culture where women had little say, when she was summoned to the king's house, when Uriah was away, she would have said yes. She would have had to have come. And when he made advances upon her and it made it clear that it was his intention to lay with her, how could she have said no? What power did she have in the moment? And yet, despite the circumstances that followed where she became pregnant and then David concocted this uh, scenario to get rid of Uriah and had her murdered, um, despite this, despite the things being done to her, her lineage changed. She became a mom of the wisest king that ever there was. And despite the fact that something terrible had happened to her, she became royalty. And she became worthy of being in the lineage of Christ. Your history may shape your future. But in God's hands, it's a future that can be fulfilled with hope and promise and redemption. A moment for her that was full of pain and, and trouble and hardship that followed became a promise that she became royalty, that she bore, bore a king who was the wisest king that there was, who was a good king and sought the Lord. It became, it became a story that changes the course of a generation and a, nat and a nation and the world. Her bearing Solomon meant that the, the rest of the lineage of Christ came to pass. And so 
God chooses to work through people. He chooses to work through imperfect people. And he chooses to work through people like you and me to change the course of history, to change the course of the world, and to bring in plans and lineage and inheritance and blessings that he has stored up in heaven, ready to release. So Lord, I thank you that no matter our history, no matter the circumstances that have happened to us without our consent or desire, that you redeem them, you restore them, and you rebuild our lineage and our story, that you work everything to the good of those who love and obey you. And I just ask right now, God, that today, would you bless those who may feel like Bathsheba, those who may feel misunderstood, mislabeled, misjudged, whose history and path was not of their own choosing. I ask that you will come and bless them to be seen for who they truly are, beautiful, pure, valiant, and brave. And would this be the lineage that they hold firm to? And would the old mistaken one fall away? God, I ask for your blessing to fall upon anyone in this place and anyone watching who may feel like they have been misunderstood, misjudged, that they have not been fairly represented, that they have not been fairly seen by the world around them. And Lord, right now, I ask that you would come and pour out upon them their true identity of people who are pure within your sight, who may have imperfections, but Lord, that you call them righteous, that you have a plan for them, that you have a purpose for them. And Lord, that you pour forth a lineage that can come from them that will be one of redemption, of restoration, of royalty, of your design, God. Amen. Today, I look around and I see that we are sitting with a beautiful melting pot of backgrounds, of cultures, of languages. And we bring each week the things that have shaped us, molded us, and made us stronger and weaker. We are a church community that is influenced by every single member here present today, but every single member who has come before us. We are a beautiful tapestry of lives woven together, that the present church and what it looks like is based upon each and every one of us who has come through those doors over the last 14 and a half years. That it is a place where we have we have brought revelation, imparted wisdom. There have been um, atmospheres that have been sown in love and in in praise, in worship, where people have taught, where people have imparted, where people have been healed and restored. This is the beautiful church that we are part of, and this is a beautiful church that I am proud to call home. Our genealogy in this place goes back to the vineyard movement of John Wimber, of the Toronto Blessing with John and Carol Arnott. It goes through the laughing movement of revival and it has seen generals of the army that have come through that with Heidi Baker, with Reinhard Bonnke, with Randy Clark, with people who have gone on to form movements of their own. This is part of the lineage and the heritage that we are part of in this place. We are part of something wonderful. We are part of um, a global mission place, that we have a mission and branch of Catch the Fire, and we have been heavily part of missions in this place as well. I know we've got people here who've gone to Iran. We've got people who go to the grime ghettos. We've got people who go to um, Africa. We've got, we used to be part of 
KCP, the Kenyan Children's Project. We've had, we've had so much mission that have come out of here. We've had Joel and Ellie Barrett who have had um, a ministry in Ibiza helping the people in um, and the prostitution trade over there. We've had people who've gone and preached the gospel to every place we have sent and we have sent. And there is beauty there and there is power there. So individually, our lineage is rich, but corporately, it is glorious. And what God will choose to do with it for his glory as he weaves our lives together in this beautiful tapestry is a tapestry of hope. And so we're going to finish with ministry. Ah, look at that for timing. Yes. Um, so if I could have the ministry team up um, you know who you are. And yay, we have Molly back. Yay! <laughs> Molly is no longer hobbling. <laughs> she is, well, a little bit, but she is, she is able to hobble, which is a good, good place. And we're just going to do some ministry in this place. Um, I just want to, I just want to, yeah. I want to ask for... We're going to do different stations, I think. You know, I've, I've, I've done some little bits of ministry along the way, but for those of you in this place who may have, when I was talking, felt something within you stir about feeling a connection to the, the Jacob and Esau contention, or what does it look like to, to feel that you've had your inheritance stolen from you, maybe, or what does it look like that you might not have taken your heritage seriously? Does we want to come up and be able to pray with you? It might be that you have felt like Rahab, that you don't even know what lineage you've had, and there might be sorrow upon you for that, and you might just need that lifting off of you, or, or having a, a word spoken in truth into you um, about your, your line coming down from you it might be that there's a, a prophetic word of, of releasing of destiny over you. Or you might want to have someone stand with you in prayer that says, actually, I am the first generation. Or I might, just, or I might be second generation and I want to I call forth my family into, into that place of being in the kingdom of God as well. Then I want you to come forward. Or it might be that you feel that you can identify with Bathsheba misunderstood, misjudged, mislabeled, and actually you know the purity of heart within you and you just need a, a stripping away of the, the falseness um, of that perception around you and a calling out um, to step into glorious light. It might be something like that. So I just want to encourage you. We've got a great team up here. And so come and be prayed for. And if there's something that has gone deep within you afterwards, please come and speak to one of us because we have um, inner healing specific um, teams and people who we can point you to that you can journey this deeper with. You don't have to uh, hold it in a one moment, but for some people we know that things take a journey. And so, yeah, please come and speak to us. So yeah, if if you would like ministry, please come up and receive. Um, and if not, you are you are free to go. Um, but yeah, I'm just gonna we're gonna say goodbye. <laughs> I'm gonna find which one I'm looking at. Goodbye, online people. 
Um, we just, yeah, thank you so much for joining us, for being with us, um, and we just bless you. And I just, yeah, I bless every person here today that you would just begin to understand the the importance, not just of your heritage that has gone before you, but of your part that you play and the line that will come after you, that God can use you richly and that he can plant within you hope. Hope for this beautiful line that you are, this beautiful thread woven into the God story. Amen.